Welcome back to Cause Internal Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the fourth chapter of Blood of Elves. Uh, this this chapter is probably the most well known outside of like the, the training at Caramorin and the, the, the training with Yennefer at the Temple of Middle Adelaide. Um, like it is, uh, everybody sort of takes excerpts from this because it, it is a brutal chapter. Um, it's a chapter about. Um, what the cycles of violence does to people, what it forces people into, how neutrality uh, and apathy is not one and the same, and sometimes uh, is beneficial and sometimes isn't, and how um, trust is a hard thing to come by, and it, it, it's just a very, very good, solid chapter of really showing not only what this world is like, um, and, and introducing some important concepts for later, but also really shows the divide, uh, as Siri, you know, going from princess to wanderer, stranded, you know, to become witcheress, to now becoming really her own person, figuring out where the line between all those are. And seeing that uh, in the divide between, say, Triss and Geralt and Yarpin uh, and the humans and the elves and the dwarves, etc. Um, and th this chapter also really solidifies what I was talking about uh, in Edge of the World and a few other ones about how there is this underlying sense that no one be really belongs to this world. Uh, Yarpin even says, the first people here were the gnomes, uh, and even then, you know, the, now they have a very small section, but they're not really as, like, uh, as, uh, big and open arms about it as, say, the elves are, and then halfling showed up, and then you got the werebubs, and uh, all the other creatures, and then you got, uh, elves who only showed up a thousand years ago, and then the humans now, and sort of who dominates this land keeps changing hands over and over and over and over, and everybody kind of is an immigrant to this land. There is no one who it truly belongs to, um, and uh, everybody sort of has their own opinion on that. And we see that the elves were once very much like the humans. They conquered, they enslaved, they did whatever they could to control the land. And then, eventually, the humans did the same. Uh, and because the humans aren't able to breed faster, um, it was only inevitable what was going to happen. Uh, and so you have like this endless cycle on a, uh, on a very large scale of showing the the ramifications of colonialism and imperialism what that does to people to not only the people living there but the people who uh colonized it and how that warps mentalities and how that uh revises history and creates tensions that continue on for generations to come it's generational trauma that um is endless um and will continue to be um you know we we see when and at the one camp uh, with the humans, that there's like this, uh, you know, guy who's like super racist. All of them should be dead. You know, they're, they're always being helped by the half elves and the ones who quote unquote live with us civilizedly. We should kill them all. And you know, and, and then uh, you got the reverse in the Scoyatel, um, you know, uh, who basically have become gorillas. They are they are a guerrilla warfare terrorist group, effectively, who um, who attack indiscriminately, and as we see, more than willingly strike against uh, uh, non-humans just as well as humans. Uh, as far as they're concerned, if you're not with us, you're against us. You're a traitor. 
um, and they're being egged on. They're being promised these uh, slogans and these ideas, freedom, unity, uh, humans to the sea, blah, 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 blah. It's not about freedom. It's not about anything. It's about anger. It's about revenge. And it's about um, just pure spite, uh, as we see with uh, the story of Elrin and uh, the, 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 the situation in Sherwood, the Rose of Sherwood. Uh, we really come to understand how the elves are basically backed into a corner. They were once the conquerors, then they were conquered, uh, and they rose up, and all of their young, effectively, got massacred. Um, and because they're most fertile are their young, the older, um, less so. Uh, so there's like, eventually the numbers game is going to win out. And no matter what they do, they're going to die out. And it's because they refused to try and change their ways or try and uh, work together with the humans. They refused, and because of the pride, they lost. Um, and that's effectively exactly what um, Geralt said would happen in Edge of the World. You know, that you continue to do this out of pride, out of arrogance, out of a belief that you are better than others. And you refuse to acknowledge that you need the humans just as much as they need you. And that, well, yes, tensions are high. Eventually, maybe those can be resolved and you can live together in harmony. But instead, you continue to come down your mountains, slaughter, and then be slaughtered. And it will be endless and it will be nothing but, you know, seas of blood for generations until finally the last elf dies. And... Uh, we, we really see that because of that, the, the Scoyotel are essentially just desperate, you know, uh, people who have no outlet for their feelings, so they take it out on everyone else. The bullied have now become the bully, um, and so it, it just, it's an endless cycle. And as, as Yarpin says, you know, it's very clear that Nilfgaard is supplying them. And they propped up... Uh, during the first Nilfgaardian War, uh, it was trying to take advantage of the Norse's division, um, and so they are, in effect, hypocrites. They are taking slogans and ideas and weapons and all that stuff from humans to fight other humans, and even some non-humans who they believe are race traitors because they've taken another side. Uh, and what does it really accomplish beyond death? You know, uh, Yarpin calls it out that, that it's better to die now than it is to continue living knowing that you have done something that you need forgiveness. Uh, and he, he calls out on the stupidity of the Scorgatel, showing that they are just young, they are radical, they believe they're doing the right thing, not realizing that they are indulging uh, and sort of egging on the bits, uh, the, you know, egging on the bits of humanity that hate them. Uh, and vice versa, the, the the racist humans are doing the exact same thing uh, as we saw at the military camp. So effectively, each each side is sort of planting their feet down and, you know, drawing lines in the sand. And that just makes more division. And eventually, you know, that that's just going to lead to hell, which we are in now, where there's straight up open guerrilla warfare just wandering through a forest because you happen to not have pointy ears or you happen to have pointy ears. Either way, it still is meaningless violence. Violence for no real reason. Violence because 
there has to be violence because we are angry and we don't know how to resolve that. Um, it is not justice, it's revenge. And a revenge with no purpose. And revenge isn't justice anyway. And it won't clear anything. It won't help you out. In the end, revenge will ultimately turn on you and destroy you. So what is it worth? You know? And we get with Geralt and Yarpin sort of uh, the differing sides. You know, Yarpin being a dwarf uh, knows that um, if he doesn't take a side, he's going to be pigeonholed on the Scoia'tael side and most likely uh, treated to some horrible racism and potentially lynched. So he needs to, you know, take a side. He also believes firmly that Scoia'tael are wrong, which I don't blame him. They are. Um, but Geralt because of who he is, he tries to stay away from everything. He doesn't like dealing with others. Um, and he hides behind that comfort blanket of being the Witcher. And his code that he made himself is all about neutrality and uh, understanding all sides. And when both sides are so polarized, can you really do that? And so Jonkman really, really hates Geralt for being neutral and sees him as sort of an arrogant uh, asshole, basically. Um, and while you can understand Yarpin, you also can't help but agree with Geralt. Like, being someone who is in between two very polarized groups, being a moderate or a centrist or whatever, a neutral person, um, basically means that you are seen as the absolute worst of everything because you refuse to say yes or no, uh, because you believe that there is some merit or some understanding to be had here. Um, and, uh... Geralt does not want to kill anyone, you know, he is, he's, he's talked about before, and he is, you know, uh, he doesn't like being who he is, being a witcher, that it was chosen for him, that, um, you know, he, he wants to end this, basically, and so to be forced to be, uh, between choosing, um, the kings of the north and the humans, and, uh, or the Scoia'tael, he's not gonna choose. Instead, he chooses his family and his friends. When the Scoia'tael attack, he doesn't remain neutral. He, he he defends. And why does he defend? He defends because Ciri was there, Yarpin was there, Triss was there. That's all that mattered to him. Um, and his examination of, uh, of what it means to be neutral, that great speech he gives to Ciri of, you know, to be neutral does not mean to be indifferent or uh, insensitive. It means to kill the hatred within yourself. It means basically to understand that these these tensions, these divides are brought about by um, biases and hatred and vitriol and understanding that in order to overcome that, you have to move beyond that. And that ultimately, what really matters is what what you care about. He even says when he's like offered that position by Vink, I'm not a soldier. Um, and he, he has that entire thing of, you know, I, I refuse to take up arms to help people that, um, you know, wouldn't give a care about me. I'm a witcher. I kill monsters. I don't I don't fight in wars over political gain or anything like that. And that, and that really shows that the examination of Geralt as a witcher and as a soldier is going to be continued to be examined throughout the series. Um, it's already been in certain ways in the short stories, but it really comes to head in the saga, where it's about, you know, do you fight for morality? Do you fight for a banner? Do you fight for a king? 
Do you fight for yourself? Do you fight for those you love? Who do you fight for? Who will bring you out of that neutrality? And is neutrality beneficial or does it hurt in the long run? You know, and these questions are going to continue to be asked and really shown as Geralt goes from staunch neutrality to eventually having to pick a side. But his side can actually be read as almost neutral because, as we see, he broke his neutrality to save Siri, Yarpin, and Triss. But he had no real uh, love of killing these, uh, the Scoyatel. He even. Uh, mourns the passing of one with the, the, the when taking the rose off, um, and uh, and sees what hatred had done to everyone, and um, there was no joy in it. It was all about saving those he loved. And his in the examination of where that line can be drawn, uh, can you take a stance while believing in only looking out for yourself and those you love? That's gonna continue to be examined. And then we see with Siri. Uh, her conversations, especially with Yarpin, of, of uh, you know, about neutrality, that she believes that being a witcher uh, is to kill evil, period. Doesn't matter where that evil comes from. It could be, a, you know, it could be a vampire, it could be a leshy, it could be a soldier, it could be a peasant on the street who is stealing, you know, it can be anyone. Evil is evil and must be done with. Um, and, uh, that, her unwillingness to sort of back up and look at the ramifications of that ideology is going to come back several times. Um, we are sort of breaking apart our main characters. You know, Siri and Geralt have, uh, you know, come from different lifestyles, but they also believe in some things the same, and so we're going to be breaking them apart and sort of examining, um, how, uh, how their ideologies work and how they coalesce and um, if they are not hypocrites for doing it. Um, and uh, just the the entire situation with the caravan, you know, that it, you know, it was supposedly like this, you know, supplies uh, from Hinsult of Cadwen and, um, and, and whatnot, and it was supposedly secret and a little bit more than what people were being led to believe, and it turned out to literally be nothing, that it was... Uh, that it was a trap, that it was a test. Uh, Yarpin and his group are dwarves, and um, because of that, they are not human. Who's to say that they are loyal to Cadwin or loyal to any of the human monarchs? So uh, their loyalties must be tested. Were they sympathizers to Scoyatel? Were they uh, helping Scoyatel? Were, were they even part of the Scoyatel? Or are they part of another group, etc.? And so this test was for naught. It ended with Vink's death. It ended with, uh, you know, several several deaths on both sides, uh, including Polly uh, Dogberg's brother. And so you have, like, this entire situation where, essentially, the inability for two groups to get along, to trust each other, um, and led to the unnecessary deaths of a lot of people. And what was the point in it all? Uh, as Yarpin ends the chapter out of, what have you made of us? What have you made us do? Um, and it, it, that is the sad truth of it, is that can these situations, this cycle of violence, this inability to trust, these racial tensions, can they be resolved? Or will they constantly be there? Um, 
you know, everybody has their own answer to it. And everybody has uh, their own personal beliefs and how it started. But at the end of the day, can that wheel be broken? Or is it endlessly circling right back around uh, to end in meaningless death? Can it end? Will it end? Or will it just keep on rolling like the rest of the world? Um, and that's the sad, sad truth of this chapter. Um, the the other side of the chapter, dealing with Triss's dysentery, um, the her being allergic to magical potions I actually think is a really cool idea you know you don't often have mages who are like allergic to some kind of magic and I think that's actually a pretty cool idea but her dysentery really shows a couple of things first it shows um, that no matter how powerful you are in this world you're still vulnerable that there is no such thing as an all powerful in this world, that the world is cruel, the world is unruly, and the world is ordinary. And as such, uh, the most ordinary of things can take you out. Simple cold, dysentery, etc. Um, you know, I, I have a friend who talks about the world building. He's like, why wouldn't the mages have taken over? And I'm like, well, they kind of do. They rule from the shadows. Like, but why wouldn't they just be open and proud about it? Like, because they'd probably be dead. This world doesn't tolerate that kind of behavior uh, and can't, much like our real world. Those who strive for power often get it and then lose it not too long afterwards. That it is an endless cycle, cycle of violence, that uh, basically means that uh, the world is indifferent to us. Nature and the rest of the world will keep on going while we eventually wither and die. And that at some point, something will take us out, whether it's a bullet, a sword, some random-ass disease, uh, anything can take us out. And we, we really see that with Triss, with her dysentery, is that um, if she wasn't being treated properly, this could have been a very bad situation. She She's a mage, but she couldn't fix herself She's not all-powerful. You know, she couldn't cast a spell and fix it. She couldn't drink a potion and fix it. There isn't a cure-all. Magic isn't all-powerful. It isn't all-knowing. We live in a world, and the world doesn't care about us. Just like our real world. You know, tomorrow, I could drop dead from anything. Random mosquito bite, and you know, that carried some sort of disease. A heart attack got ran over by a car. Doesn't matter. I could potentially be a very important person in this world but i got run over by a car the end of story my story ends there you know uh the most powerful person in the world can drop dead at any moment and it, there is no certainty in this um and i think that's important to remember is that the witcher is trying to be while also making fun of fantasy ideas and using fantasy elements is still trying to tell a story uh, that is relatively realistic um, and because it's realistic, the, this world is not kind. It doesn't give a shit about us. Um, and I think that's important to remember. This isn't Dungeons and Dragons. This isn't, oh, oh mages can do whatever they want. And ha 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 ha. No, there are consequences to actions. Um, and the way the world works does not care. And you could drop dead at any moment from anything. And it's important to remember that the, that is inherent to this world, inherent to this world building. So to go, uh, mages can do whatever is to fundamentally misunderstand what the Witcher is about. Just period. Um, so, uh, the Geralt and Triss situation. Uh, you know, I've talked a little bit about the Geralt-Triss thing, and, uh, Triss, um, 
is a character that, as I said a couple of chapters ago, is, you know, mainly known from the games. She, you know, she has some important parts to play, but after this chapter, she kind of uh, goes into the background until some later stuff in future books. And the entire love thing between her and Geralt, what's interesting is that I, as I said, I think it's sort of a Delenn Lanier kind of situation where one loves the other deeply or at least cares about them, puppy love type, this being Triss to Geralt or Lanier to Delenn, and Geralt or, uh, to Triss and Delenn to Lanier cares about them as a friend and maybe as a very, 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 very close, almost family type member, but does not, you know, actually love this person in that kind of way. And as a result, um, you know, some of their actions, you know, can be seen as almost too affectionate. I talked about this in Babylon 5 with Delinda Lanier, but also here, like, the way girl treats through this entire situation, the way he talks to her, there's a very clear line that, you know, that he does not love her in that way, and he cannot love her in that way. And, you know, we have an off-screen conversation about that, where he tells Triss, you know, he tells Triss basically that he cannot love her in that way, but he loves her as a friend, and that she still means something to him. Um, and, uh, and that, that, that uh, conversation is partially off-screen as we view it through the eyes of Yarpin and Siri in their own conversation. Um, and essentially, it's about that... Yes, I love you, but not in the way that I can fulfill you. Um, I can't even love the person I truly love that way. You know, I'm conflicted. I don't know how to work through this, and I'm deeply sorry. But some of the way he does, some of the things he does sort of eggs her on, and Yarpy even says, please never, young child, you know, take, take affection as a sign of something more. That there is, um, that, that, that sometimes people have a hard time showing the way that they feel. Um, and as, as a result, the signals can get mixed up, and that's perfectly understandable, and it's truly sad the way that works. Like, even in our real world, it's hard to really open up to someone and say, this is how I feel about our relationship, or the way I see you, or and stuff, and it's all about signals and understanding little small social cues and ideas, and that, what's really sad is that we can't be actively open about that. And oftentimes things can be misread and that can lead to complications down the road. And I think that's truly sad. Um, and overall, you know, the, the Geralt Triss thing is not something that I care about all that much. I don't really like the character Triss all that much. Like I said, she's well written. I find her distasteful, especially in the games uh, and some of the later action she has in these books. So um, am I rooting for her? Hell no. Am I rooting for Yennefer? Hell yeah. But at the end of the day, I can respect and understand um, the situation that Geralt and Triss are in because having, you know, it's sort of a a look at, um, you know, a little sacrifice, but with a deeper connection there rather than a first time meeting, how the, that longing can slowly destroy you and eat away at you. And I think that's an interesting theme to explore and will continue to be explored throughout these books and even in the games. Um, overall, chapter four, fantastic chapter. Um, lots of little great moments in this, you know, like uh, when Gal just without thinking goes, mine, Zygrin, mine. 
you know, when referring to Siri, just like immediately without hesitation, he's the dad, the end of story to the character interactions, to the social commentary and all the stuff that is building. You know, there's a lot of world building. There's a lot of, uh, you know, drama being set up and stuff for future things. Um, and, uh, there are certain times that, that things from this chapter sort of will reverberate onwards, uh, Ciri's belief that witches must kill all evil, um, and that, uh, you know, one cannot remain neutral, especially is one of the big ones. Um, uh, also the entire fertility of the elves and whatnot. So, very important chapter, um, and, uh, overall... Um, is very brutal and unforgiving in the way it shows us the way that uh, this world works. Um, and it's a great character chapter. Uh, and like Josh said, some of these chapters can sort of be taken as almost episodic, almost short story-like. And that gets less and less as the books go on. Uh, as I said, this was his first book. This is Sukowski's first book. So he, that kind of shows. Um, and this chapter is sort of the archetypical of one where it's very clearly you know, a, a single story, but it does reverberate down the line, um, and builds on things from before, builds on things for the future, uh, and furthers our characters along their arc, but for the most part can be taken separate from the majority of the rest of the book. Um, so I shall see you next time for chapter five, in which I'll be joined by Josh again. Uh, so I'll see you next time, dear friend. Bye. Bye.